Welcome to Recovery Guy Podcast. Welcome, welcome. Recovery is a lifelong process. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Robert. I am the Recovery Guy, and you guessed it. If it's Thursday, this must be the checkup. Welcome back. I'm so glad that you uh, decided to tune in and listen to another podcast. Uh, uh, We're excited about what's going on at Recovery Guy uh, podcast, even recoveryguy.org. Continue to take a look at the website, uh, download uh, any one of the 32 video segments, and uh, use them how you see fit, whether it's any one of the 12 steps or any of the other practical approaches and guides to living. Also, all of our podcasts. Thank you, John Barker, uh, website administrator extraordinaire. He finally got it done with Podbean. And all of the podcasts are on. The entire archive are there. He's going to be setting up particular categories to make it easier to find them. Of course, shout out to my man, JJ, in studio, always taking care of things to make sure the quality is what you would want that to be. Uh, you know, I I come across topics every now and then, and, and some I'm more comfortable with than others mainly because uh, there's such a devastating effect with some of them. And, and um, you know, today I want to talk about uh, relapse. And I think if there's anything that we need to check ourselves against is relapse because it can be so devastating. Uh, you know, I'm so fortunate, as so many of you are along the way, we meet some pretty incredible people, don't we? Um, as you've heard my laundry list of giants that I've come across, uh, uh, it just goes on and on. And, and I'm sure that's true with so many of you as well. And, you know, the people that we meet along the way, don't they just make a difference in our life? And we see what they're doing and how hard they're working and reinvesting into this thing called we, you know, recovery to make a difference in the lives of other people. You know, that adage I like to use from Damon Willis, where we just leave everyone better than we found them. And, and there's not a greater example of this than my dear friend, Scotty B. Uh, Scott and I actually went to high school together back in the seventies. I am that old. Uh, and and so Scott and I, w- we reunited a, a number of years ago, and uh, and and Scott B is uh, in charge of, and he is the CEO of a of a group of uh, homes called uh, Welcome Home Sober Living, and their target participation is primarily women with children, and. And Scott and Melissa S. They do such an amazing job with their team of leaders and 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 helpers who help make these homes a real home, not just a place for women to stay as they clear through the courts and reunification with their children, but real family. You know what I mean? The kind of family that only recovery can bring. And 
And for those of you like me who we've lost our family along the way, I've, I've regained my family, but there was a time where the only family I had was my recovery family. And, and God bless Scott and Melissa and the rest of the team on Welcome Home Sober Living and the impact that they make in, in the lives of women and children, especially in Southern California, but certainly across this nation. So I was talking to Scott the other day, and I said, hey, buddy, um, give me an idea of, of what you think might be a good topic. And man, it didn't take Scott but a second to get back to me. He said, Robert, we need to discuss relapse. And I sure do wish uh, he was in studio with me today. And and um, soon I'll get him in studio, and we'll talk about this even a little bit deeper. But we we talked about relapse, and, and he shared some thoughts with me on even why he sees people not only in his recovery program, but also with the women uh, at Welcome uh, Home Sober Living. And he gave me a list, and we're going to cover that list in a bit on what he sees as as the triggers for relapse. But you know me well enough. I like to define everything. That way, uh, I, I make sure that I give you accurate information Obviously, it's going to be coupled with my experience, strength, and hope, but anytime I like to define something exactly, I like to go to the experts. So I do want to take a look at uh, what dictionary.com says uh, when relapse is used uh, as a verb. It's, it's to fall or slip back into a former state or practice to fall back into illness after convalescence or apparent recovery. Interesting, apparent recovery. To fall back into a vice or wrongdoing or error, to backslide. Then when it's used as a noun, it says an act or instance of relapsing, a return of a disease or illness after partial recovery from it. You know, that's that's interesting when you talk about um, certain conditions or um, illnesses that we don't um, have control over. But when we talk about addiction, we do. I think what makes addiction so devastating. And the first time I ever heard this was from uh, Tom Bennett, uh, who I've mentioned before. He was a giant in my original recovery. He was a brilliant Menza person, extremely high IQ, but he was so relatable and so brilliant. And yet here he was a heroin addict, right? He ultimately die, would die from hepatitis C, even in his recovery. Very tragic story but a tremendous impact for the years he was in recovery. And I actually met him when he was a counselor in a treatment center I went to um, when I first came into recovery. And, um, and Tom would, uh, would talk about um, addiction as the only disease known to man that will tell you you don't have it. Isn't that crazy? You know, if, if you're someone who has struggled with diabetes or, uh, you know, bipolar or, or um, another condition, maybe cancer or 
your arthritic or any other debilitating, your hearing impaired, or maybe you your um, uh, vision is impaired or or challenged um, or diminished. None of those conditions tell you you don't have it. There's really no element of diabetes that's built in denial that says, oh, no, you don't have diabetes. Oh, no, you don't have cancer. Oh, no, you're not uh, hearing impaired. Oh, no, you don't have arthritis. But addiction will tell you we don't have it. And, and if you look at your own story, how many times did we deny our condition when confronted with the reality of who we were becoming based on what we were doing? So it, it is a return of a disease after illness uh, or after partial recovery from it. It is a fallback into that condition. That is what a relapse is. It's to go backwards. The uh, uh, SMAHSA, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, says a relapse means you have made a conscious decision, interesting, a conscious decision to abandon your recovery plan and return to your pre-treatment ways. Sometimes when people relapse, they use slips as an excuse. For example, an alcoholic who drank every day might redefine his addiction if he begins to only drink on weekends. You know, in, in recovery, it says, over any considerable period of time, things get worse, never better. And I believe that, and that's the main reason why people such as me can never safely consume alcohol to any degree whatsoever, none whatsoever. I am 100% abstinent because I know that the two phases of my addiction is a mental obsession coupled with a physical allergy. The mental obsession says I might, I must have the first drink. The physical allergy says one is not enough. And that's where my friends, going back to Tom Bennett, would even say, you know, Robert, the, the physical allergy has nothing to do with you anymore, providing you deal with the mental obsession, which is what we recover from, right? We recover from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And that seemingly hopeless state of mind and body tells me I have to have a drink. But when I recover from that, it tells me I no longer need to consume alcohol. And as long as I don't take the first drink, going back to Ted's example of it's the first car, you know, when if the train hits me, it's the first engine, the first train of that car that kills me. The, the caboose had nothing to do with it, right? Because I get off on that run. So I never have to worry about my physical allergy, that DNA stamp in me that says one is not enough as long as I don't have that first one. And that is what I recover from. So, so the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services admin is saying that uh, we'll use it as an excuse. But it's saying I've made a conscious decision to abandon your recovery plan. I've got to leave it behind. And didn't we do that when we were out there ripping and running? 
for many of us, and I'll own this, uh, I walked out on my wife and children. Uh, one of the most terrible things I've ever done any father, any person could do is leave his loving wife and his wonderful children. I abandoned them. And, you know, when we come into recovery, it's saying here that to relapse, it means I have to abandon that plan. So it's a really, it's a, it's a, it's a reshaping of previous behaviors. That's why they're saying that I'm leaving my pre-treatment, uh, returning to my pre-treatment ways. So that's what um, uh, the substance abuse group says. The JAMA that the Journal of American Medical Association, again, authorities here, back in April of 2017, they're actually stating that between 40 to 60 percent of people who have been treated for addiction or alcoholism relapse within a year. Staggering number, which makes me even more grateful that I am recovered over 33 years of personal recovery. And for every day, I am grateful for what I've been given because surely God is doing for me what I could not do for myself. It says, while relapse is most common during the first year of recovery, people with years of sobriety can resume self-destructive uh, drug use or drinking or, or overeating or compulsive gambling or pornography or any of the behaviors that are associated with our particular self-destructive behavior, whether it's a tangible physical addiction, whether it's a psychological, whether it's spiritual, or combining all of them where so many of us are, are sick from. Remember, we are sick. We're not bad people trying to get better. We're sick people trying to get well. And those, sometimes that sickness lingers on. You know, I love the plan of recovery. And again, I want to reach out to everyone out there um, in terms of recovery and wherever you're coming from. And, and so, but my main source of recovery material in 12 steps is always going to be the program of Alcoholics Anonymous because it is the mother of all 12 steps groups. All right. So, Please don't be offended or put off if I refer to that. Why don't you just go pick up a book, right, and and learn from that or pick up certainly your OA literature, which is all a takeoff of your NA, your CA, your OA, your GA. It's all a takeoff from the big book and follow that and make that work. But it talks about in the doctor's opinion, very interesting here, and, and I'll apply this to all sorts of behavior it says, though, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by the alcohol. So whether you're a gambler or whether you're a compulsive overeater, we engage in that behavior because we like the effect that is produced when we engage in that behavior. Whether it was fulfilling an emotional need when I would compulsively overeat or or whether it was the physical sensation when I very shortly thereafter overeating would throw up, or the relief uh, or the sense of being lost and isolated when I would gamble, right? We do these things and we, we expect some type of release because one of the neurotransmitters that gives us a sense of we're okay now is released and produced when we engage in that behavior. 
But we come into the program of recovery. And I love what it talks about in in the forward to the first edition where we recover from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Our body does begin to heal, but our mind is what keeps it being healed over time. Because if we don't keep our mind in shape and recover from that addiction that would tell us maybe this time it's going to be different, then our body never stands a chance. So let's go back to Scott for a minute. So because I think his um, observation of why he sees people uh, relapse is uh, very insightful and we'll talk, I'll list them all and we'll unpack some of them as we look to try to uh, make some sense out of this whole thing. And then, and then when we're done, I'm going to give you examples of people who don't relapse, such as Scott. Scott's got, uh, I think, going on 11 years or 12 years, maybe, of personal recovery. Again, my, my dear friend and brother and sponsor, Slow Will, going on 40 years. Uh, Steve, my friend, just celebrated uh, 34 years. Uh, Scott's got 34. Buddy's got 35 or 41. Uh, Eddie's got 35, you know, list of um, uh, laundry list of people who have been doing this quite a while. Um, So I'm going to give you some of the characteristics of what they're all about and some of the things that make us up. And, And maybe this applies to you. Maybe you need to apply some of these things. Maybe you have people in your life. I I know my dear friend, uh, Wendy, and my friend, Angela. These are characteristics of them. I've got a dear friend, Susie, who's in in Al-Anon, a wonderful example uh, as a a family member and a loved one who suffered uh, on the other side of the table from addiction. She's this type of person as well. So you're going to find some common characteristics between people who relapse and common characteristics of people who decide to stay in recovery. So are you with me? So now Scott says, and I'm just going to list these in order that he gave me, why people relapse. They isolate. They disconnect. Obviously go hand in hand. They stop going to meetings. They stop calling sponsors. They're just sort of sitting on their steps or or not moving. They get the job, right? They get the money. They get the car. They get a little honey. You know what I mean? And ultimately, they get loaded. You know, I've said before, there's, there's nothing more dangerous than a person with a little physical sobriety. And a lot of times that's what happens with individuals. They sort of um, half measure, you know, in the program it says half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point. And for those who, who are half measuring and they stand at that turning point and then they get distracted by the job, a little bit of bank, a little bit of money in their pocket, they got some transportation, they can get out again, which means they always can stand a chance to go to old playgrounds and old playmates. They get a little something-something on the side, you know, a little significant other, they, and they become too significant in their life. And ultimately, they, they could get loaded over it. 
Scott also points out that these people who do relapse, and, and I know because when I look at this list, when I relapsed at 72 days, I was that person. I I did stop going to meetings. I did stop calling my sponsor. I hadn't been doing the steps for about 30 days. I was disconnecting from my friends. I'd gone back to my old job working in the entertainment uh, arena. I got a little money. Um, ultimately, I ended up getting loaded, right? So Scott's right on point with these things. Um, and maybe if you have relapsed or you've known someone, or maybe these are things in your life that you think, holy crap, I'm doing that or I'm not doing that. I need to get on board. Then Scott also talks about a lack of willingness, complacency, not being rigorously honest about the little things. Oh my goodness. This is critical. You know why? And Scott, thank you so much for for rigorously honest about the little things. You know, it is those little things, man. It's those secrets, you know, and, and Scott and I have talked about it before. And I know Melissa talks with the ladies of the ministry, uh, you know, they're at uh, uh, Welcome Home. You know, we are only as sick as our secrets. We like to hold on to the, oh, it's just little here, little there. Or if, if I tell them about this or that or the other, they're going to reject me or I can't get in the program or whatever. You know, it says, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. It says, there are those who do not recover. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program. Scott said a lack of willingness, complacency. That's what that's talking about. I'm not willing to give myself completely over. Then it goes on to say, there are those too who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders, but many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. Man, Scott was right on point, rigorously honest about the little things. Selective memory, forget where we came from, pink cloud burst, a stranger to truth, a stranger to the literature, following the wrong examples, relying on old behaviors and copying skills. That's like a laundry list. Some of us were guilty of many of them. But you know, somewhere along the line in our journey, we have to pay attention to these things because time in the program of recovery is not a guarantee against relapse. I'm going to give you a list of things that are guaranteed against relapse because rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. The program of recovery is a program that's designed for a lifetime. I have every intention of leaving this world a sober member of recovery, a person who on his last breath will be involved in wellness. That is my goal. That is my plan. I have recovered and I stay recovered by staying in recovery. I was talking to a person today and I said, you know what? What I do is by design. You don't see this person day in and day out. This is not an accident. I am who I am on purpose. And I re relive and rededicate to that purpose every day. So who are the people who can stay away from relapse? From this list that uh, my brother Scott gave me, who isolate, who sit on the steps, who, 
who put other things before recovery, who are complacent, who aren't honest, who have selective memory, forgetting where we came from, which means we didn't do a thorough first step or we forgot it, how powerless we were. Let me tell you who these people are. Maybe they'll resonate with you. Maybe you're this person. Maybe you want to be this person. And if you want to be that person and you're not yet, reach out to me. Message me and I will advise you. I will direct you. I've been a recovery coach for years now, sharing my experience, strength, and hope. And I will do it with you. Maybe you've got someone close to you in a meeting or your church where you go, where you can talk to them about these characteristics that I'm going to lay out for you. So who are these people? We just identified from Scott who these people are who relapse and also from the authorities and even dictionary.com what relapse is. So who are the people who don't relapse, right? Because that's who we want to be, right? You don't you don't learn about counterfeit by, by um, uh, studying counterfeit money. You learn about counterfeit by studying real money. That way you can identify the counterfeit if it comes across. And that's actually true. You don't, you don't learn about counterfeit money because there's so many different kinds of counterfeit, but there's only one real kind of money. So you just study what real money is, and it helps you identify counterfeit when it comes across you. So who are we, you and me? Who are we out there who have recovered and who stay recovered? What do we do? This may be in any necessary order as I, as I wrote them down. I, I wrote them down in the order that I think are important for me. But who are they? You know what? Here's who we are. We are people of prayer. Prayer is so important when we engage our higher power. In this case, God, as a Christian, it's Christ for me. Who is it for you? Who do you pray to to get your power? Step 11, we sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood God, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. So if you disagree with me, with the power of prayer and being a person of prayer, it just means you disagree with the program of recovery. And I don't take it personally because it's not, you don't have an argument with me. You have a a problem with the most um, renowned 12-step program on the planet. Right. So become a person of prayer. Right. Then become a person of service. That's what I love about Scott so much and Will so much and Buddy and Steve and Eddie, Jack, my sponsor, other people that I know here in my community. You know what we are? We're people of service. Because right after step 11, when I get this prayer, right, and this message and this marching orders from God, step 12, it says, you know, uh, after, after, you know, taking this message of prayer, and it talks about carrying the message, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. So I'm prayer and I'm service. You know what else I am? I am accountable. I have people in my life that I'm accountable to. Obviously, I'm accountable to God on a daily basis as I take my inventory 
and I seek him through prayer and meditation, and I do that 10 step. I love Slow Will. He talks about the maintenance steps 10, 11, and 12, where I clear away the wreckage of my past, right? And, and I do that on a daily basis. I take that personal inventory daily. Then I pray, then I serve. I am accountable to that. I'm accountable to you. I'm accountable to my wife, Laura, for over 30 years. I'm accountable to my children. I'm accountable to my grandchildren. I'm accountable to my employer. I'm accountable to people I work with. I'm accountable to you. People who actively work a program, I guarantee you, I work a program as a Christian. I work a biblically-based program And as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous and all the other 12-step groups I qualify for, I work the steps. 33 years later, tomorrow night I'll be at Annie's house with a couple of my friends. It's a women's residential recovery center. You heard me talk about it before. And we're going to talk about the program of recovery. And they love that I bring in a big book that looks like it's 30 years old, 33 years old. It's a second edition, and I love it to death. I work the program because the program has given me life. Then there are people who surround themselves with other positive people. You know, I want to be uplifted as I uplift. So I surround myself, you know, scientifically, water seeks its own level. And I seek the level of people that want to elevate such as I want to elevate. A rising tide lifts all boats. I want to be with the boats that are rising. I want to be around that positivity. And it doesn't mean I reject negative people because those are the ones that I'm serving and bringing along. But I want to be around positive people. So people of prayer, people of service, people who are accountable People who are actively work a program of recovery, whether it's secular or religious base, work that program. People who surround themselves with other positive people. Are you that person or are you isolated, discontent? Have you stopped going to meetings? Are you sitting on your steps? Are you complacent? Are you lacking willingness? Are you not being honest? Are you selectively forgetting where you came from? Are you just on this pink cloud where it's going to burst any time? Are you a stranger to the truth? Are you a stranger to a literature? Are you following the wrong examples? Because if you're that person, you're going to relapse. You are. And I don't say that as a threat. I say that from a point of experience. Because if you do not follow the path of recovery, if you are an alcoholic, addict, addictive personality like me, if you don't follow the path, there's only other one way for you because we don't coast uphill. We don't coast uphill because we would be defying gravity and go try your luck with that one, right? So don't take my word for it when it comes to relapse, but take my word for it when it comes to recovery. I've been at this a long time. If it wasn't true, I wouldn't tell you. If it wasn't true, Scott wouldn't tell tell the women of uh, Welcome Home. Melissa wouldn't tell the ladies that she serves there. All my friends in recovery, even Jack, my sponsor on his deathbed, I said, Jack, what should I tell them? 
He's dying of cancer. And I said, Jack, what do I tell him? What is the message that you want me to share? And he looked at me with his sunken eyes because the cancer was just ravaging his body. And he said, Bob, tell him it works. And that was the last thing Jack said to me. I left the hospital, and three days later, he would be gone. He would be home in heaven. So I'm going to tell you, it works. Would you take my word for it? Would you take Jack's word for it? Would you, would you take the word for it of 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body? I hope that you do, because any suffering that you go through as a result of relapse was not meant for you. If you were on the path to recovery, stay on the path. Don't divert. Don't get lazy. Don't get complacent. Don't get dishonest. Continue to do. Be a person of prayer, a person of service. Stay accountable. Stay actively working with the program and surround yourself with positive people. And you, too, can not only become well, but you can go from broken to whole. I want to thank you so much for joining me today on The Checkup. Scott, thank you, my brother. I'm going to see you in California in November when Laura and I get there. And I'm and I'm looking forward to a big bear hug. Thank you for everything that you do at at um, Welcome Home Sober Living. God bless you. Have a great day. Thanks for joining the show. My name is Robert. I am the recovery guy. I was trying to